want to ask everybody to uh, grab your Bibles and open to 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2. And I'd like to invite you all to stand if you feel able and well enough to do that. I, we're going to read verses 1 to 7 together. I'll read the, uh, I'll start with the odd, you take the even, and we'll finish with verse 7 and then we'll, we'll pray. We'll have a responsive reading this morning. Again, I'll start with chapter 2, verse 1, and you guys will take the evens, the even verses. Therefore, I exhort, first of all, that all supplication, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of our God, our Savior. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. For which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am speaking the truth in Christ and not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Father, we come this morning before you knowing that your word is holy and anointed. And we ask right now, Jesus Christ, that you'll go before us and speak to our hearts, Lord. That you will make it ever so simple, God, that we would know what it is to have that knowledge of truth. And that you, Jesus, alone would be the one mediator. God, you are our Lord. There is no other. And so, God, as we have worshiped now and praised you, now we come, Lord, to hear your word, speak to and minister to our hearts, that we would walk out of here changed, more like you, Jesus, and less like the world. We ask and pray all of this in your holy and mighty name, Jesus Christ, and all God's people prayed. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. As we begin chapter 2 here, God uses some very interesting uh, word choices, as you just read verses 1 through 7 together with me, in, in this passage of Scripture, uh, to describe what he expects from humanity, really in regards to leaders, okay, the church, in the way of Jesus Christ, you might say our Christian walk, simply, but specifically in context, I, I want us to remember everything that Paul, Pastor Paul, the Apostle Paul, has been speaking to our hearts through chapter 1 because we can't just forget chapter 1 and go into chapter 2 as though it's not in context of why he just laid out verses 1 through 7. It's very, very intimate and connected to what we've been reading in chapter 1, and we need to remember that and read that in context, right? What was going on in the church in Ephesus? And I say this because today many look at the church and say, can it get any worse? Friends, I would suggest to you that in the church of Ephesus, it was even probably worse than what we're seeing today. They were worshiping at the temple Diana. There was temple prostitutes. There was tons of pagan idolatry going on in that day. And so it's wrong for us to come and look today and say, well, it's as bad as it's going to ever get, right? And not remember the fact that the best is yet to come in Christ Jesus. When we looked at this, what was the first accusation, and I use that word loosely, that Paul, the Apostle Paul, had made to young Timothy? Teach no other doctrine. So we know the first attacks that began to come to that church in Ephesus had to do with the word of God. It was the undermining of the word of God, or, or, or can I be so bold to say the removal of the word of God by teaching another word, another truth. So conveniently put, I think we can all look and say, yeah, check. Today we see a lot of propaganda, a lot happening in the world, a lot of uh, stories. The Bible uses the word fables for that. A lot of genealogies. That's men drawing men unto themselves and beating their own chest in pride. I Check. We can say we see that today, don't we? How many thousands of years later? Pastors and leaders, you know. Paul drawing our attention to the fact that the priority within the church and always must be 
This must be sacred and holy. The priority in the church must always be truth. It must be accurate doctrine. It can't be an opinion of man or being taught what we think is relevant to the day, but, but the whole counsel of God must be taught within the church. And the second thing we saw was love and compassion. And that's the care for others. Part of the church is not just worrying about oneself, but being so focused about others. And in so doing, what do we do? We build up. It's a word in scripture we use, edification, to edify, to build up the body, right? And what's that in direct contrast to? Self-indulgence, right? Personal opinion. You see, our flesh and the devil, they are a dangerous team. We need to be honest about that. They attempt to distract, guilt, hurt, divide, condemn. Just look back to chapter 1, verses 18 through 20. This charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning to you, that by them that you may wage the good warfare. We're in a battle. Having faith and a good conscience, which, having, which some having rejected the church, rejected a good conscience at that time. And dare I say, maybe some today. Concerning the faith, having suffered shipwreck. There should be warning lights going up in the church all around the world. Danger, danger, warning, warning. When you, when you reject Christ, when you reject truth and doctrine, when you move from a good conscience and not believing in faith, doubting, danger, danger. And then we read of verse 20, of whom are Humanius and Alexander, whom I've delivered to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. That's the result. You follow it to its end course. It's the result is left up to man's own discretion and opinion and wisdom, what's it lead to, friends? Destruction and blasphemy. There's nothing good in me but Christ Jesus. And so it's pulling all of that in, that the battle isn't in flesh and blood, right? We just had VBS, an awesome week. Vacation Bible School. We had 55 children, you know, they're all in here. They're sitting there. The whole room was filled. It was awesome. They're worshiping. Worship like I've never heard children worship in years. I mean, real worship. These kids were worshiping. And they came forward and they were living, raising hands. They came up in this line and they were singing and they were so in love with Jesus. And the aim of that week, this week, was the armor of God. And so every evening from 6 to 8, we would have a little teaching that we'd begin before we went over with the teachers one particular uh, piece of armor. But I was so blessed and privileged to have an introduction with these children and then a time of a short teaching and a drama and a, a skit so they could see the Bible lived out in their lives. And each night as, as it progressed, I, I, I kept hearing the Lord press more and more, tell them, prepare them. But Lord, they're little children. Prepare them. Tell them because they're not hearing it anywhere else. And we began to talk about the battle and the fact that we need the armor of God and that truth is in high demand today, friends. Truth is in high demand today, even in the church. And so I draw our attention to when he said here, fight the good fight. I know there's some here this morning that maybe are tired. Maybe you're, you're feeling beaten down. Maybe you're tired of swimming upstream. I want to encourage you this morning. Paul, the Apostle Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, direct revelation from Jesus Christ, wants to encourage every one of us this morning to fight that good fight, to never quit, to never lie down, but to keep pressing on because the best is yet to come in Christ. And we are overcomers. We are victors. And that's why when we came in here this morning, we can worship. We can praise God in despite our circumstances. 
We should be filled with joy despite what may be going on in our lives. Just a joy that overwhelms us. So contagious. So viral. Can I use that word? Viral? As believers in Christ and members of his holy church, we need to recognize that we need to have good faith and a good conscience. Faith is only as good as what you place your faith in. You see, with a pure and holy conscience, we can fight against the arrows of doubt, which is the opposite of faith, isn't it? And condemnation, which is the opposite of a good conscience, isn't it? Right? We don't need new doctrine. We don't need something new in our lives. We need less of us and more of Jesus. And that's what we can be excited about this morning, is that he is ever-increasing. So as we look at verses 1 through 3, Therefore I exhort you, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. Four things in particular. We're going to talk about that. For kings and all. Circle all in your Bibles, please. It's, it's a, re, a repeated word that we see within these passages. All, all, all. He, he's very clearly wanting to be inclusive. All. Not just some, not a majority, not a minority, but all who are in authority that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. So, (laughs) fight the good fight, right? Paul exhorts here. That, that word exhort, that means to call upon in the Greek, if you want to write that in your margin. What he's saying is, I call upon you, church. I call upon you, Ephesus. I call upon you, Calvary Chapel. What's he calling upon them to do? Well, Timothy and the leaders of the church in Ephesus, and dare I say 2,000 years ago, you, here you and I, that we must have authority. There must be leadership But authority doesn't come without accountability, does it? Not in biblical terms and standards. And that's why he began by saying in verse 3 of chapter 1, teach no other doctrine. That was the accountability. That's what you're responsible to do. And part and parcel of that command also comes the teaching of what should be done. And and introducing chapter 2, verse 1, these four things. These four things must be done, right? It's part and parcel of don't teach false doctrine, but now I want you to do this. I'm calling upon you to do this. And that, that only makes sense, right? Not just to say, I don't want you not to do, or don't, not, you know, don't do this, but I want you to do this. I think teaching leaders and disciples what we should focus on what should be the proper conduct of the church, what our hearts, our minds, and our actions, that they need to be right before our Lord. Amen? We need to understand how to feel. We do. With these perilous times and things coming at us, we need to understand how to feel, how to respond to these things that we're seeing in the world, these lies, this lack of truth. We also need to understand how to obey. Obedience is important to God. And so the focus here for the pastor in particular, he's talking to Timothy, he's talking to leaders here, we want to be clear, but he's also talking to the whole body of Christ, certainly, because we're all ministers that way. It includes four things that the Holy Spirit outlined for us in verse 1 this morning. The first one is supplications. Does everybody see that word? Underline that in your scripture. That means your wants and your needs. Your wants and your needs. We are to bring that forward. Our wants and our needs, not just for ourselves, but for who else? Because who's, in, who's the subject here? Leaders, those in authority. You're going to see where this starts to get difficult in a moment, living in this day and age with a government and different things that we have before us. But this is what's commanded. This is what's biblical. This is what's in our Bibles. We need to acknowledge this. Prayers. Notice that it's plural with me. Please, in the Greek, it's plural here as well as in the English. It means seeking God in conversation and in silence. It means listening and waiting to hear 
God's still small voice. That takes time and investment, doesn't it? It's, it's often easy to come to God with the prayers and needs and supplications. And in prayer, when we come to him and speak to him, God, we love you, Father, we love you. And then as we're on our knees or sitting there quietly and just being still, it's unnerving quietness sometimes, isn't it? Our heart begins to beat. We can hear our breath. We begin to focus. Our attention becomes finer tuned. And so many times we want to speak. We want to jump in because it's unnerving. It's, it's uncomfortable. But in those moments, what we're actually doing is letting go and letting God be God and sitting back reverentially in glory and just looking at God in his glory and, and just in awe, and just being quiet and letting them speak to us. That's part of prayer as well. Intercessions. That's the third one we read here, right? That's the idea of seeking God for others. We do that. I, I, a couple weeks back, Sally's brother, my sister needs prayer. What did we do? We stopped and prayed. Amen. I told him, I said, I love you. Right after, sir, I said, come up here. I, I have such a, a, a closeness in my heart for this man. Because all he could do but say, can we pray for my sister? She's got cancer. We want God to heal her. Just beautiful. Intercessory prayer. I, I, I still don't understand why on Sunday evenings, corporate prayer, this room is impacted. Like we have to somehow blow out the walls or doors. I know we're not building a new building here in a year, hopefully, Lord willing. But blow out the doors until then where we can feed, fit people to come in and intercede one to another. To God, for God. You know, to God, excuse me, for others. And then... Obviously, giving thanks for all. Do we realize how blessed we are? What a privilege it is to be alive today. All that has been laid up before us and for us today. Sometimes we get so self-consumed on our situations and our plates that I think we have the capacity to not worship or find thankfulness even in difficulty. Again, please notice, and here comes the rub, that this is to be made for all men. All is the important word here. Not those we like, not those that agree with our opinions, or <laughs> those that we think favor our viewpoints. Even those that mortally want to, or those that want to kill us or mortally harm us. Those that want to destroy us. That got heavy, didn't it, this morning? All means all. And he calls these four specific things out. This is what it is to be a Christian. This can be a challenge if we're being honest with ourselves, right? Right? Can you honestly say, did anybody here pray for their enemies this morning? Was that the first thing that was at the top of your list? May we never forget God's love for our enemies is akin to his love for us. You see, it changes everything, doesn't it? I love the word of God. It writes the heart because it prompts us to then be thinking about others and then we naturally think about their salvation. The gospel. Verse two. Again, just in case we didn't understand all, as I asked you to circle that, who does that mean? Kings, governments. And those authority, in authority, leaders, please turn with me to Romans chapter 13 in your Bibles. 
Let's look at verses 1 through 7. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are, underline this in your Bible, appointed by God. Nebuchadnezzar, check. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinances of God. And those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror of two good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. This is complicated because we see that there are evil leaders and leaders that are not teaching godly or morality or any, you know, morals or anything like that. We're to pray for them, and we're going to talk a little bit more about this in, in Scripture, but, but the reality is we have to come to the understanding that God allows them to be in authority. God has allowed it. Now, we read in scriptural times in the Old Testament, as an example, uh, the Assyrians. You've heard of them. They were the, the people group that actually was chosen by God to come in and chasten Israel right around 726 B.C. in that area because Israel was committing idolatry. So he used a foreign people group and the Assyrian king, terrible things, to bring for the northern tribes of Israel to bring them into captivity. God allowed that man to come against his own chosen people, chosen nation, because whom the Lord loves, he corrects. When that man then took joy and pleasure, that king of Assyria, God then did what? He came back and judged that man because he should not find favor in the chastisement or the process of correction, or he shouldn't have found favor, and God ended up destroying much of Assyria's leadership because of their sin of enjoying uh, the judgment that they were carrying out in Israel. Nebuchadnezzar with the southern tribe, right? Judah, 586 B.C., 605, beginning with uh, Daniel and others. It was the same idea. Nebuchadnezzar, again, was allowed an authority by God. He controls all authority. And yet... Because of the wickedness of Judah, God is going to chasten Judah, and he allows him to come in and to wage war that way and, and take almost all of them captive. If you read Jeremiah, you talk about the heart of God. I just happen to be in the book of Jeremiah devotionally right now. And as I'm reading this and it's recounting it, I look at passages where God is speaking to the people and he says, but there will be good that will come out of this. I will provide for you even in captivity. The natural response for a human being is, why do we have to go into captivity to begin with if we weren't practicing evil or wrongdoing? And the, re answer, the reality of that is there's a consequence to sin. I mean, this is heavy to kind of lay all this out in this passage this morning, but we need to talk about it in understanding that God allows the governor, that's the governor of the state, Wolf, to be in office. He's allowed it. He's allowed President Biden to be president. He's allowed it. He allows kings and governments to, to do these things. And he tells us that we're to honor, pray for these leaders, whether you agree with them or whether you don't agree with them. He goes on to say that, therefore, you must also be subject, not only because of the wrath, but also for conscience sake. For because of this, you are also pay taxes for they are God's ministers. Did you see that? Attending continually this very thing. You're to be a good citizen, a good American. You're to be a good law-abiding American citizen. Render, therefore, to all their due, taxes to whom the taxes are due, custom to whom the customs, fear to whom fear, and honor to whom honor. So turning back to Timothy, when he says, for kings and all who are in authority that we may lead, now that's important, quiet and peaceable, right? 
he goes back and he explains this further. He says that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. And, and I want to be the first to say, I know it's, it's difficult during times where the government in America is trying to dismantle much of what made this nation great. It's difficult to pray for leaders that are trying to destroy the very thing that God has propagated. It's difficult, isn't it? I hope I'm not alone in this as I struggle with this myself. A nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. There's that important word again, all. I want you to think about Paul as he's having to write this, inspired by the Holy Spirit. This man had just gotten out of prison. He had watched a fellow brother in Christ, James, martyred earlier on, head of the Jerusalem church, because of his faith. He had been made aware of what happened to John the Baptist because he stood up to a king or to Herod or to the establishment on what was right biblically. And it cost him his life. Can you imagine the Apostle Paul being told, write this, Paul. But God, you want me to do what? And six, seven short years later after this, Paul himself will be martyred by a governing authority. The apostles, all of them, almost all of them were murdered. They were martyred for their faith. The apostle Paul was very well aware of what he was being asked to write here by God. Obey those that may not truly have your best interest at heart. Now, like anything in scripture, there's a defining line. There's a demarcation. I want to point out nowhere in scripture, nowhere in the Bible, are we commanded to listen and obey authorities that are demanding anything contrary to God and his word. Nowhere will you find that in scripture. That's the demarcation. Up until the point of where they're asking you and I to violate God and or his word, up to that point we obey as good citizens of the United States of America. Until the point of where they cross the line. And the Holy Spirit will be your guide on where that is. I'm going to also suggest something else to you this morning. Christians don't have civil rights. I want to be very clear. Therefore, we should never, as a Christian, appeal to our civil rights. You heard me correct. I know some of you are thinking, what did he just say? Dulos, Greek bond servants. We're willing slaves and servants. There's been a lot of debate on this, how Christians should influence politics in order to protect their civil rights. But friends, I'm, I'm going to ask you, where in the Bible do you read that? Please give me the passage, the verse, the chapter. Where do you read that in Scripture? That we have rights on earth from a political or civil perspective as a Christian. The, the truth is we don't as Christians. What we have rights as, as American citizens. Do you understand the difference? Israel uh, has Israelis, that, the Jews that are citizens of Israel, and they have certain rights. Their rights are different than our rights as Americans. You understand? They could enforce uh, a federal mass mandate, as an example, or federal uh, vaccinations. Everybody must do this or that. But in the United States of America, as American citizens, we have certain laws on the books put there by our forefathers, inspired by Jesus himself, to protect the sanctity, sanctity of human life. 
But that's not because I'm a Christian. That's because I'm an American. If you're an American citizen, please, we, <clears throat> you may think this is a simple distinction, but it's not. And it comes with uh, a biblical understanding. Let me explain. Even more profound is we are, as Christian citizens, but not of America, the Bible tells us that our citizenship is what? Heavenly. Do you see the implication? A Christian shouldn't appeal as a Christian to American citizenship, but to heavenly citizenship. That's where we belong. That's where we're going. As Americans, we can appeal to the courts as a, as a, as a law-abiding American citizen. Absolutely. Paul tells us that in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, that his citizenship belonged to heaven. This is good. This is really important. And this is a clear distinction. I want us all to think about this. For the kingdom that he awaited was the true king, Jesus, who would come. If you remember Philippians chapter 3, verse 21, he is able even to subdue all things to himself. That's the king you and I serve. He can subdue all things to himself. And the apostle Paul saw himself as an ambassador from that kingdom to this world. He proclaimed with authority the act of God in reconciling the lost world to himself. You and I, as citizens of heaven, can proclaim that same authority to speak the word of God in season and out of season. Regardless of public opinion, we are called to preach the truth. Not because we're Americans, but because we're citizens of heaven and we serve the one true king, Jesus Christ. You can read that in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 through 20, or Ephesians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. Paul knew no political or national boundary. As a Christian, I have no political or national boundary, do I? I can preach the word of God to everyone, everywhere. There's no limiting the call of the proclaiming of the gospel. Paul in Christ was a new citizen, wasn't he? All things have been made new. A citizen without ethic, ethnic, sorry, gender, economic, or national distinctions in Christ. Do you see how good it is to be a, <laughs> a citizen of heaven? It just starts removing all of these, well, we have to respect this party or this group or the. Oh, no, I'm no respecter of persons. I preach Jesus and him crucified. And that's a message everyone needs to hear. That's a message from heaven. That's heaven sent. You can look more about that in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. Therefore, now, all that in context of what we just read, Romans 13, we look back at chapter 2 here, verses 1 through 3. We can and should be bringing what? Supplications, our wants and needs. Prayers, plural, right? Seeking God in conversation and in silence. Intercession, right? Seeking God for others and giving thanks for all those in government, our president and civic leaders and all leaders. After all, isn't it God that allowed them to be in office? Every leader is allowed to be there by God and has a choice of whom they will serve. That's being played out on the, the, the stage right before our eyes. Will they serve God or will they serve Satan? I assure you, you'll serve one master. Again, ultimately, the choice brings consequences associated, whether that's good or evil in that way, for the kingdom and for the people that they serve or govern. Let me explain that. That is why we see what is happening today and God is allowing it because there's consequences to dictators and or men or women that choose to uh, have a, a, an office and choose to follow Satan that way. There's a consequence to the sin and that sin doesn't just affect their lives, but it affects all of society because sin 
spreads. It destroys. And that's how you can reconcile and understand what's happening today and even why God is allowing it to a point. Because he's still in complete control because he's sovereign. So there will be a point where Satan will overplay his hand and God will say no. Just as we read in the book of Job, when he tried to afflict Job originally, his own flesh, you can't kill Job. No, you can affect his livelihood. You can affect his family. You, you'll even be able to afflict him with boils, his flesh. But you will never be able to snuff that man's life out. Because haven't you seen my servant Job? There is no one else like this man. He loves God and you'll never deny him based on the circumstances or consequences. You see, it's all throughout scripture. But there is a consequence to sin. And so we see things going on in our government today that is evil. We have to call it for what it is. It is evil. And because of that, there's sin. And that affects the people that are also governed by that leader. Matthew chapter 7, verses 16 through 20, tells us that we can know these leaders by what? You shall know them by their fruits. Notice it's not fruit singular that way. Fruits, plural. By the things they do, the way they speak, and the actions they carry out, we can determine are they a good, godly leader, or are they serving Satan himself, directly or indirectly? You see, friends, leaders need God's direction to lead if they have any hope of doing what's right and just. That's why God is calling us to pray for them. So Paul is telling us to lift those up in authority that we may lead, and that's the imperative, how does it affect you and I here? What? That we may lead, you and I, because there's still a consequence to sin, quiet and peaceable lives in all godliness and reverence. Now, it's interesting, that adjective, quiet, we find it here. It's not used anywhere else in your New Testament Bible. This is the only place you see this word quiet as it's translated in the Greek, this particular word. And the Greek word quiet has more to do with tranquil. Can, can, can anybody say I'd like some tranquility right now? Yeah, right? A little bit of tranquility. Calm. And here's the other aspect of this word, this adjective. Composed. That we may be composed. That's a very important word if you think about the things that are going on. We hear of another variant. We hear of another strain. We hear of all these things that are going on. People are getting very nervous, starting to get heightened again. But you and I, we're composed. I have a question for you this morning. Is Jesus Christ on the throne? Amen. Is Jesus Christ on the throne, friends? Yes, he is. What's changed? Nothing. Your circumstances change or God doesn't. Don't you just feel that fear just drip away? Just fall away. It's not for you. You have no business picking that up. That's not yours. You don't pick that baggage up. It don't belong to you. That isn't your yoke. Next, he uses the word peaceable. Similar to that first adjective, right, of quiet, but it speaks more to what? Tranquility arising from within. So not just sort of this outer peace where you can say, I'm peaced out, man, but also inside your heart. It means causing no disturbance to others. It means true inner peace. Because what? Because we've done all that we can. We've done all the things we've hoped, we've prayed, we've brought God into every presence or into our presence, into every situation. And that results in then godliness, doesn't it? And that speaks of being devout. It, it speaks of a piety characterized by a Godward attitude, if I can say it that way. Thinking and doing which is well-pleasing of him. That's what you and I are to be about, our Father's business. And finally, with reverence. Some of your translations, if you're using King James in here, you might see honesty as your translation. But the noun here speaks specifically to the worship of God, actually. This speaks to worship in dignity, majesty, right? Sanctity and purity. Again, speaking of the results from godly conduct from the leaders in the church, 
and from the body of Christ. It's all protection, isn't it, friends? It's all girding us and protecting us and, and, and all the things we need to be to be overcomers. Verse 3 tells us it's good. You want to you know what's good, right? You, you want to know what's acceptable in the sight of God? These four adjectives. And then the addition of, obviously, quiet, peaceable, godliness, and reverence. It's good, right? And God, our Savior. It's the second time we've seen this, right? We saw that in chapter 1, verse 1. Our Father referenced as our Savior again. I, I draw your attention to 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9. He says, who has saved us, talking about the power of God, according to the power of God, the gospel, and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before what? Did you ever want to know when this whole plan was devised? It says right there, look in your scripture, before time began. That's what it says there. Before time began, Jesus Christ loved you and I. Even before time began, he already put in place a redemptive work. And he knew his son, his only begotten son, would go to Calvary to redeem humanity so that we could never and would never ever be separated from him again. Before time began, this wasn't an afterthought for God. This wasn't an afterthought for Christ. This was intentional. He loves you. He wants to be with you. In verse 4, he says, Who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth? For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all. There's that word all again. To be testified in due time for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am speaking the truth in Christ and not lying, a teacher of the Gentile in faith and truth. Friends, God desires that all are saved. Don't let anybody try to convince you different. You've heard people stand up and say only, you know, certain, certain reform teachers. or Oh, no, God has set some apart for hell and some apart for heaven. That's not what we just read. Again, the issue really isn't even up for debate scripturally. I, I don't mean to, to belittle anybody who has that thought. Please, I'm not saying that. Certainly you can be born again. I, I'm not saying you're not. But, but I think the Bible is very clear on this. And again, lest someone here think that I'm taking this text out of, you know, context here, you can look at Ezekiel chapter 8. Let's go to the Old Testament. Again, this was not an afterthought before even the new covenant was given. Go to Ezekiel. Look at Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 23. God says, do I have pleasure or do I have any pleasure at all that the wicked should die, says the Lord God, and not that he should turn from his ways and what? Live? Do I have any pleasure, he says? Look at verse 32 in the same chapter. For I have no pleasure in the death of one who dies, says the Lord God. Therefore, turn and live. This is in the old covenant God's desire. It was for salvation, Again, before time began, as we had already read in 2 Timothy, right? What about John? Turn to the book of the Gospel of John in your New Testament. John chapter 3, verse 17. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but the world through him might be saved. Well, turn to 1 Timothy. Since we're already in 1 Timothy here, let's look at chapter 4. It's right within our context of passage. Hermeneutics, you know, the closer you are to the exact area, the sort of the bullseye, they call it. Right in the same book, chapter 4, one chapter, a couple chapters over, right? Look at verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 10. For this end, we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially those who believe. We see that right there. How about Titus? Turn to Titus, chapter 2, verse 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. 
all circle that again. How about 2 Peter? Turn to 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that, there's that word again, all, circle it in your Bibles, but all should come to what? Repentance. And then if you read in, in Peter right there, he's going to go and talk about right in context, what comes next? The day of the Lord. He talks about end times, prophecy, right after that. Well, back to 1 Timothy. So look at verse 4. Who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. What is the truth, since it's the definite article there? Objectively, and, and it's not subjective, by the way. Truth is objective. We need to be very clear about that. Um, my truth is not your truth, your truth is not mine, all that nonsense. No, there's truth, objective truth. It signifies the reality lying at the basis of an appearance, the manifested, veritable, in essence of a matter. It can be distinguished quite easily. Here it's written in the Greek, in truth or of the truth, Again, we use that word a p. It can mean upon, but it also can mean in or through the, speaking of the basis of, the foundation. It, it, the reason I'm bringing the Greek out is because it's explaining where this truth comes from. It, it describes it as a basis of. It's describing it as foundational, in other words. So it's begging the question in the Greek, where, where's the basis of it come from? Since it's the truth in the definite article, where it's coming from is God. Because that's who's in context here, right? He is the author of all truth. And again, there's so much written in Scripture about God and truth. Um, again, just for time's sake, go to the book of John again. We were just there. Turn to the book of John, please, in your New Testament. Let's just start with John 1.14. We'll start just, just in this one book. I'm just going to go through a couple passages here this morning. Because again, truth is in high demand today, isn't it? And a lot of people believe they are the author of truth, which is the worst form of idolatry. John chapter 1, verse 14. And the word became flesh, Jesus, and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and of truth. Right? Look at verse 17. I read this earlier, or I meant to read this earlier. I skipped over this one. But for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Look at chapter 14, please, in the book of John. Look at verse 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Well, that's pretty limited. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There's not many ways. There's not multiple paths and ways that way. Look at chapter 17. It's the only way is through Jesus. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent, the only true God. And look at uh, verses 17 and 19 here. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is what? Truth. truth. And you sent me into the world, I have also sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they may also be sanctified by the truth. The word of God is truth. Christ is truth. The truth. And that's what we read here. You know, the knowledge of truth is the gospel. Jesus Christ is Lord. Romans chapter 1 verse 16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Greek. Well, that draws our attention back to Jesus. And that's perfect because in verse 5 he says, For there's one God and one mediator. Through one mediator and one alone, the man Christ Jesus, there is no other way to God the Father. Please let me repeat that again so that nobody misunderstands this. There is no other way to heaven or to God the Father than through Christ Jesus, the mediator, the only begotten Son of God. 
the man, Christ Jesus. There's no other way to come to the Father but through the Son, Jesus. I think this statement simply echoes what we just read in John chapter 14, verse 6, which is, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. That's pretty exclusive, isn't it? And yet it's completely inclusive because all, all, all. In the world today, though, most people think that any or all roads lead to God. If, if of course, I want to I clarify this, if done in sincerity, right, or with a good heart, certainly with sincerity or good heart, then, 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 then it's going to be different. But the Bible completely disagrees with that. And allow me to give you three passages in particular that speak to this. Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. The Pharisees and the tax collectors, right, each came to God sincerely, but one was accepted and one was not. The next one, Luke chapter 18, verse 18 through 23. The rich young ruler came to Jesus sincerely but was rejected because he did not give up everything to do what? To follow Jesus. Do you remember that? I think you're getting the point. In Leviticus chapter 10, verses 1 through 3, you remember Nadab and Abihu? They had offered profane fire as their uh, worship, and God's judgment came upon them. It makes it clear that we cannot come to God any way we please, and it also makes it very clear that sincerity is not enough. I'll give you one more. I said three, but I'll give you more. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12. There's a way that seems right to man, but its end is the way of death. It's not about what you think. That would be subjective truth. God's authority and word is objective truth. You see, it really is all about truth. It's, it's, it's all about the object of reality and the, the truth of that is, you and I don't get to define reality since we didn't author the reality, right? We don't author this. You and I don't get to choose reality in the which we live. Now, I want to be careful here because I know this is a big topic, topic today. I think of our Gen Zs here, right? Anybody born from 1997 to 2012 or what's being called now Generation Alpha, right? Which is anybody born 2013 to 2020, You've heard a lot of talk about AI, artificial intelligence, other means that they can create their own you know, reality. But that's not objective truth. You can go into a piece of software and redesign a whole world, in a, but that's not real. You can lock yourself in a room and tell yourself that there's no God because there's only four walls around you and you choose not to see light or anything else around you. You can remove yourself from all the Bible. You can remove yourself. But you can't remove the conscience and the measure of faith that Jesus Christ has given every single human in creation. In philosophy, there was a man by the name of Descartes. To be is to be perceived. And his idea was that if he could strip everything away and just hold this one apple or this piece of fruit... And he would say, I know this is an apple because of identity. I identify this as an apple. I know nothing else. Genesis pa. I know nothing else but this. But you know what he didn't take into account? The soul, the conscience. That which Greek calls ego or id, the I, the identity that creation is through God's majesty placed in us. We can never run from that or deny it. There is no such thing as an alternate reality or truth. No different than when your nine or eight-year-old has a dream and they come down and it was a bad nightmare or a, even a pleasant dream where they could fly. You certainly wouldn't encourage them, to, encourage them to open the window and jump out the window. That would be irresponsible because it would lead to death. And telling anybody else that without Jesus Christ in your heart and professing him, you are going to go to heaven and live eternally is irresponsible at best and demonic at worst. That's why truth is not up for debate. It is objective. 
no matter how much software and our younger generations want to try to create their own truth. You see, by definition, only God, Genesis 1-1, bara in the Hebrew, ex nihilo, out of nothing. Only God created the heavens and earth and can divine the reality of salvation. And God says here in verse 5, there's only one mediator, and that's the man, Christ Jesus. Amen? It's not a priest. It's not a pastor. It's not any spiritual leader. It's only Jesus. Why? Because as you read on, he was the one who, what? Gave himself. Jesus gave himself, right? And Jesus wants us to give ourselves to him just as he gave himself to us. He gave himself as a ransom, it says there. A ransom. When you think about it, when he was talking about that, one mediator, man Christ, who gave himself, in verse 6, a ransom for all to be testified in due time. That word ransom means hostage. Jesus gave himself to be a hostage for the payment of my sin, for your sin. He put himself in the place and received the punishment of wrath from God, the Father, that you and I deserved. And really, this is the message of the gospel. This is the truth in verse 4 again. In verse 7, he says, For which I appointed, being Paul talking, a preacher and apostle. You see, there's a whole lot of messages you can preach from the Bible. But the message that matters out of all of them, certainly, the whole gospel matters. The whole Bible matters. But it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. The message was of salvation only through Jesus and Jesus crucified. That's the only way you and I have atonement. And that is 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1. So, friends, I have to ask you in closing here, we're going to have communion in a moment, but just to ready our hearts before we partake of communion together. What message are you preaching? Whether it's through your words or through your deeds, on a daily basis in the way you live your life. Paul preached Christ and him crucified. You're going to preach something. Your life and your personality and your character is going to preach something. How are you known? How are you known by God? And how are you known by others? We're told Paul, in closing here, says he was a teacher of the Gentiles. You remember Paul began his ministry with equal emphasis on both Jew and Gentile back in Acts chapter 13. But because he continued, because of the continued rejection of the Jews, though, Paul began to emphasize his ministry to the Gentiles. And if you're not Jewish here, that's you and I. You're a Gentile. This is your pedigree. This is your family lineage. You have a long and beautiful one. All the way back because of the faithfulness of one man. The God-man, Jesus Christ. And after him, the faithfulness of one man that was a murderer and blasphemer before he knew Christ got saved and gave the gospel to the Gentiles. And thousands of years later, millions and millions of people have come to know Jesus because Paul said, what if it was just one soul? If it was just one soul, what it would be worth it all. We get to partake here as Gentiles in what once was only for the Jews. But now we've been grafted in, Jew and Gentile. We get to partake in a holy communion in remembrance of the body and the blood of Jesus that was broken and poured out for your sin and my sin. Pastor C is going to come up here and he's going to share with us communion. We're going to ready our hearts. The worship team is going to come up. Just take these moments of silence. If there's any sin in your life, lay it down. Give it to Christ. Pray for repentance. And then receive all of that Christ wants to give you this morning. Good morning, everybody. You should find your elements on your seat or in front of your seat. If you want to go ahead and start preparing them right now and
just hold off and we'll partake together. You know, all the days and all the times and as we go, as Pastor brings us through the, the, the Bible, right, as the Lord leads without a plan, we, we, we come today to remember corporately what Jesus has done. And we just happen to be in a passage reminding us just simply of that. Right, we read that, that he is our mediator and he gave himself as a ransom for all, as we read earlier. He gave himself, right? He volunteered. And um, as we come together corporately to remember that, and whether you're in this room or outside of this room and listening or watching online, um, partaking together, we, we do it as a family. And it's amazing how we're reminded. It's God's word, right? Pointing to Jesus day in and day out, verse after verse. But as we come together today, and it's so right in front of us to remember what he's done and what he's done for us. You know, verse 5 in 1 Timothy chapter 2 says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men. In my Bible, I have the M and E underlined. Sure, it's for all of us, right? But it's for me, and it's for you. And that's the encouragement today. As, as, as we partake corporately, but individually, to remember what he's done for you. And what he's done voluntarily. God volunteered. It's so amazing. You know, we, we read how there is one God and one mediator, a name of Jesus. But there's another name, right? We sang about it earlier, the man of sorrows. Because he, he carried so much. And he did it for us. That we can be here today. That we can be part of his family. And this is, as a reminder, that pastor reminded us earlier, that, that this is for those who believe. Right? And if you have not accepted Christ in your heart, then, then remembering what he has done isn't, isn't for you today. But certainly, you can talk to one of us. You can reach out to us. Because as we learned earlier, he did this for all. He did this for all. And as we go to our verse in 1 Corinthians, Paul says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And he is coming. That's a promise. And that's the truth. And as we do this to remember until that day, you know, Paul goes on to tell us to examine ourselves. And I'm just going to ask that we do that. I know Pastor had asked as well, but let's just take a moment before we partake and just examine ourselves. Who we are, remember who we are and who he is and what he's done. We'll just take a moment and then we'll partake together.
Let us partake together. God. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day, Lord. We thank you for this time that we can come and hear your truth. Lord, that we can go out into this world um, with your armor. Lord, the armor that you supply us, founded in your truth. Jesus, we thank you each and every day, Lord, as we remember today for what you've done to give yourself. God, we just pray as we go about our day, as we go about our weeks, that you be with us. Lord, we thank you. We thank you to be able to gather as a family. So guard us and guide us in our steps today. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Love you guys. Okay.